We know you have lots of questions. If you think that you've developed symptoms. Should I avoid large public gatherings? Whether schools should be closed. Welcome to Common Sense. Here we address your questions about COVID-19 with interviews featuring experts in medicine and leaders in community, public, and global health. Here's your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. Welcome to the podcast, COVID-19, Common Sense Conversations on the Coronavirus Pandemic. I'm your host, Dr. Ted O'Connell. My guest today is Sean Olds, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Boodle AI, the leading machine learning powered predictive analytics platform that empowers nonprofits to connect with and engage new donors and supporters. Sean started his career on active duty in the 82nd Airborne Division. He was medically discharged due to an injury sustained during a parachute operation. Sean transitioned to the private sector as a logistics operations and technology consultant, as well as an IT strategy management consultant. Sean then helped to found a wireless media solutions company and served as its chief operating officer. After September 11, 2001, Sean chose to return to the government sector and worked for the U.S. Department of State's Office of Counterterrorism, where he spent time in Southwest Asia as well as Africa. Sean then transitioned back to the private sector, working with PRTM Management Consultants, which was acquired by PwC. Sean helped found and build PRTM's private equity practice. Sean was then recruited by Taka, a $30 billion Abu Dhabi sovereign wealth fund with investments across the energy value chain and in 10 countries and four continents, to serve as the chief procurement officer. Sean then co-founded and served as the Chief Operating Officer and Managing Director of the Bella Wood Group, LP, a merchant bank headquartered in Dubai with offices in Istanbul and Baku. For over a decade, Sean also dedicated his free time to the National Collegiate Conference Association, which is a 501c3 non-governmental organization of the United Nations. Sean is the President Emeritus of the Board of Directors. Sean also currently serves on the board of directors for the National Guard Youth Challenge Foundation. The foundation, which is a 501c3, operates in over 25 states and has worked with troubled high school dropouts for the past 20 years. Sean is also the founder and chairman of the Veterans for National Service Foundation, a 501c3, which supported veterans who sought the opportunity to continue their public service in elected, appointed, or professional staff positions in each of the three branches of government. Sean also serves on the Board of Directors of Support Foundation, a 501c3 which leverages its proprietary Patriot Link to help veterans in need. Sean graduated from the United States Military Academy with a degree in computer science. He earned an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and also earned his Juris Doctor from the Northwestern School of Law. Sean, thank you for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Absolutely. So, Sean, can you tell us a bit more about your background? It's just really interesting. And I'd like you to tell us how you got involved providing AI support for nonprofits. Sure. Well, the uh, the first thing you made me realize is I probably need to shorten that bio. Even I started to nod off through it a little bit. <laughs> um, the short version is I like to take risks. Uh, that's why I started an army jumping out of airplanes. 
It's why when uh, the country was attacked, I returned to work with the State Department doing counterterrorism work overseas. And on either side of that work with the government doing startups, I've been a lifelong entrepreneur and just really like building companies. Um, The most important part, though, that you left out uh, typically isn't in a person's bio is my wonderful wife, Cindy, um, who actually, as you know, went to grade school with you. So without her, I, I wouldn't have met you. Um, And we have two amazing children as well, Caden, a daughter, Caden, and a son, Tennyson, who wonderful thing about children at the end of the day, they're your own little living neural networks that you get to train. Um, And so they've been a a, a great joy. Um, As for how I got into providing AI to nonprofits, as you mentioned, I've spent 25 years now serving on nonprofit boards in addition to everything that I've done professionally. And the only aspect of my philanthropic board service that I haven't really enjoyed has been fundraising. And I'm not talking about the asking for money. I'm a tech entrepreneur. I have to ask for money for a living. It's, it's been how ineffective and inefficient fundraising is in the nonprofit sector. And my co-founder, who's another West Point grad, who I went to U.S. Army Ranger School with, um, have been friends with over the years, had a very similar experience over his time serving in, in nonprofit boards. And about five years ago, approached me with the idea of why can't we take very commercially available technology, i.e. predictive analytics, AI, machine learning, and offer it into the uh, nonprofit sector? And one of the big problems in the nonprofit sector, having served on boards as long as I had, is that most technologies, not all, but the majority of technology available to nonprofits has come from a commercial company selling to other companies and then come to nonprofits saying, okay, Mr. Nonprofit, circular nonprofit, figure out how to shove yourself into this square hole because this is the software you get. And what we wanted to do was actually build a software platform that was built for nonprofits that could eventually be ported over into the commercial space. And so that's what we've done. We've built a predictive analytics engine that's powered by machine learning that can work with very limited data, which most nonprofits have, and help them increase their effectiveness and efficiency in, in their fundraising. Wow, that's really great work and and super interesting. Um, Sean, you're on the board of directors of at least three nonprofit organizations. Um, can you tell us a bit of, about the work that these organizations are doing? Absolutely. And, and just to clarify, uh, I actually shut one of the three down. Um, there are currently well over 50,000 veteran service organizations that are out there. And when we started the Veterans Service Foundation back in 2001, It was designated to help military veterans who wanted to continue their service to the country outside of uniform in political office or elected office or appointed. And when we started the organization, we were truly the only nonpartisan organization offering those services. Over the years, though, there have come about a a number of wonderful other organizations that were more successful in getting funding than us and were able to hire on full time staff. And so we didn't want to remain a, a redundant organization out there. So we actually ended up shutting that organization down and, and allowing some of the other ones to flourish even, even stronger. So um, I'm, I'm actually hoping that happens more in the veteran service space. I think it would be better for veterans. And frankly, there's other nonprofit uh, verticals that would work well, too. Um, I have been on the board of the National Guard Youth Challenge Foundation for over a decade. Um, it's an organization that takes at-risk use. So these are kids who are dropped out of high school, been kicked out of high school. Um, most of them probably have about a 99% chance of ending up in jail. And the organization has over a two-decade history of taking these kids out of the lifestyle they're in. So the gangs they may be involved with, a bad home situation. They bring them in on a 15-month program where they um, educate the kids, get them their GED in the mornings. 
And then in the afternoon, they teach them a trade. So they teach them to be electricians, EMT, a variety of different trades. And then they graduate them through the program and send them out. They've had over the past two decades a 90% success rate for these kids. So it's uh, been a wonderful organization and a wonderful way to spend government dollars. In fact, the Rand Corporation did an independent study about eight years ago that said it was the only government program they looked at where there was actually an ROI for every government dollar invested into it. So, and then finally, the, the organization I'm active with right now is the Code of Support Foundation. I joined them several years ago. As I mentioned a couple minutes ago, there's a lot of veteran service organizations. And what drew me to them was they're one of the first that has built their own technology. So they've built a platform called Patriot Link. What's amazing is they got the idea of building it because about a decade ago, the Veterans Administration tried to build a similar platform to Patriot Link. They paid way too many consulting firms, uh, way too much money, well over $10 million, spent about eight years and never produced a system. Code of Support in three years was able to take a three-year grant from the Bristol-Myers Squibb Foundation, about $3.1 million, and successfully deliver the platform. And ironically, the VA is now licensing the platform back from them, which has been a a wonderful thing to see. Um, But they're very good about the idea behind Patriot Link is that veterans who fall into troubled times, veteran suicide largely is led because veterans aren't able to get the help they need in the time they need it. They spend too much time on Google or Yahoo or a variety of other search engines finding places that are just not the places they need to be. Patriot Link is a source of vetted, vetted organizations that help get a veteran the help they need when they need it so they can move on to become a productive member of society. Wow, that's some really outstanding work that you're doing, helping individuals and society as a whole. And, um, you know, besides thanking you for your service to our country, it sounds like um, you're just really doing some great work that deserves thanks as well. Well, to, to be clear, it's, it's the organizations that are doing the great work. Board members provide a little guidance, but there are some wonderful people on each one of those teams that is really putting in the day-to-day work to make the mission happen. Yes, absolutely. It takes, takes a village. Absolutely. Um, so COVID-19 has really significantly impacted our economy and, and it seems to be getting worse as time goes on. Um, how has it affected nonprofits in particular? Absolutely. You're, you're, you're dead on on the economy. I mean, we saw in the first 60 days of this, United Airlines stock dropped over 50%. Um, Marriott and Starbucks were down over 30%. And there's no way someone can say that in, in the span of two months that an, an airlines dropped their valuation by that much or they were worth that little. While nonprofits are not publicly traded, uh, they're being hit equally hard. They've lost access to many forms of their traditional fundraising. So they can't do galas. They can't do races. They can't do their face-to-face meetings. And um, it's, it's giving them a lot of stress and causing them a lot of problems. Uh, the Coast Commission, I said, we had to cancel our annual gala. That's 20% of our annual. Now, we've been able to postpone it towards the fall, but that still causes cash flow issues that a lot of nonprofits are, are going through. And what's interesting is over the 25 years I've been involved in nonprofits, there have been three other recessions. And in each one of those recessions, organizations could still do their galas, their races. They just knew they were going to raise a little bit less. This recession is far different because organizations are not able to pursue those those opportunities. And so they've got to find ways, they've got to be creative and pivot to get through this time until they can get back to other forms of fundraising or adopt new ways to be able to further themselves and continue on with their mission. 
right? You're exactly correct that this particular this pandemic is affecting society and the economy in, in ways that are profound and, and unlike previous recessions, as you just spoke to. Um, so specifically with the nonprofits um, with whom you're currently working and serving on the boards. Science, science, science. Hello, podcast fans. Want to get weird with us? Come check out the Mad Scientist podcast. We are a weekly show that looks at the history, philosophy, and hard facts behind your biggest paranormal questions. Did the government really pay for a psychic spy program? Yes. Is it true that surgery got its start in grave robbing? Yes. Can a roller coaster really kill you? Legally, we can't say so for sure, but sometimes, yes. Join myself, Chris Cogswell, and my co-host, Marie Mayhew, as we examine the science, philosophy, and history behind the strange and unusual. All to discover what's possible and plausible versus what's, well, just made up. Check us out wherever you find your favorite podcasts. The Mad Scientist Podcast. How are those nonprofits being affected, um, Very, like more specifically? Yeah, so great example is the, the gala I told you about. We lost 20% of our, our revenue. The other thing, though, is it's it's both top line and bottom line, right? We've now got more veterans who are coming in the door, which costs more dollars to serve them. And so we've got bigger costs because COVID-19 has a great impact. And you're seeing this across a variety of different organizations. There are nonprofits that were helping with homelessness. Um, I saw a study this morning that says they expect homelessness before the end of the year to increase by over 20%. And that's significant for any homeless-related charity that's got to figure out how to raise the money to meet that demand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so from what we've seen, Sean, do you think nonprofits are taking the right precautions in protecting their organizations and, and their members? A lot of them are. Um, you know, there's, there's 1.5 million nonprofits in this country. Um, and so there's going to be a variety of different ways that they deal with this and they work with it. Um, as a result of the, 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 the pandemic, it's been a quite varied response. Um, those that are in the more difficult times making the more difficult decisions really are trying to find leaders at the federal and state level that they can work with um, to understand how are we going to flatten the curve? What are we going to do that's going to be available at both the federal and the state level, such as PPP loans and other aspects? So the organizations, I think, that are really kind of, and I don't want to call it pivoting because they're not offering a new mission, but they're pivoting in the way that they operate on a day-to-day basis. Um, I think they are taking a lot of the right precautions. Unfortunately, some have had to furlough staff, which you never want to see. Um, but those organizations are trying to make sure that they're there to fight on another day. One of the neat things I saw probably almost a month after we, we went into a lockdown is the Council of Foundations actually created a pledge asking other foundations, which are typically kind of restrictive in how they'll grant funds, to actually become less restrictive, to take a portion of their endowment, to pledge to take a portion of their endowment, to put it more quickly to COVID-related charities so that help could get out there quicker and they wouldn't have to furlough staff. Because the big problem in furloughing your staff is this is the people with experience. These are the people you need helping to meet your mission. Right. Well, that's great to hear that the foundations are taking that different approach to try to try to help sustainability. Is there anything that these nonprofits could be doing better or even anything they could do to be proactive and differentiate themselves? 
I've seen a lot of organizations that are doing exactly what they need to do. They need to be leaders. So the, the first thing you've seen a lot of these executive directors do is get their leadership team together, get their board together, and develop a plan. And once they've developed the plan, there's two key things they do with that plan. The first thing they do is they sit down with their staff and they convey that to their staff and instruct their staff on how they are part of that plan. And then the second thing they've got to do is they've got to get out and start talking to donors. Um, One of the things that has concerned me is you see some organizations that are really scared to go out and raise money because they think it's tone deaf. And what I've been, when I talk to nonprofits and the ones I sit on the board for, what I've told them is, You've got to recognize how COVID-19 has impacted your donors. You can't, you you are tone deaf if you gloss over that. But once you've done that, you need to convey to them how important their previous support has been, how important your mission is as an organization, and how important their work, their continued support is going to be. And something that does, there's two possibilities out of that. One, you get a donation, which you need. But the other possibility is someone says no, and they may just not be capable of it. It's not spiteful. It's not vengeful. They just lost their job. They have a variety of other issues. What's great, though, is 12, 18, 24 months from now, when we get onto our next normal, when that fundraiser goes back out and talks to that person and says, hey, I told you a year ago, this is what I was going to do. I did it and I did more. Now that donor is going to look and say, this is not just a donation I'm throwing away. This is an investment in an organization that knows how to conduct itself. And so either way, fundraising right now is, is still a, a big benefit. And I can m- imagine that they may even look at it as this is an organization that's able to conduct themselves and do good work on a thin budget. And, and so if I'm donating, perhaps my money goes a little bit further with that organization that performed during difficult times. That, you know, I'm kind of guessing at that, but that seems like it would make sense. Absolutely. So we were just talking about fundraising, and I think we both know that that it's really important for nonprofits to survive and be able to continue to do that fundraising. What can nonprofits do to mitigate the damage on fundraising and revenue overall? One of the things I've been talking to a lot of our clients that we talk with is not to look at it as fundraising, but to look at it as an advancement. And in many larger organizations, you actually don't have a chief development or fundraising officer. You have a chief advancement officer. And advancement takes a much more holistic approach to fundraising. A part of advancement is asking for that dollar, but more of it is, how do I engage my donors over the course of the year? What information do I give them? What do I involve them with to get there and engender their support in the future? And then how do I tie that to what we're doing from a mission perspective? And so those organizations that are not just myopically focused and very, you know, I'd say those organizations that are playing chess, not checkers, are the ones that are really going to do well and emerge well coming out of COVID-19. Got it. Um, So what impact is the philanthropic world having on the more vulnerable parts of our society that are being impacted, perhaps in many cases, more severely uh, by COVID-19? Yes. I mean, it's funny because it's all the focus has kind of gone on what's what are we going to do to fix COVID-19, which is, of course, very important and a lot of focus needs to be there. But it's not like when COVID-19 hit our shores at the beginning of the year that homeless people got homes or hungry children found meals. In fact, in the case of the latter one, you've got hundreds of thousands of children whose only meal came when they went to school. And so now all those kids that are, are home right now are not getting that meal that they had. And, and where you've really seen some organizations step up are local food banks. Um, I've spoken with food banks that are in Dallas and Atlanta, several other cities. 
And they are really stepping up to make sure that those children are getting meals and that those in need are getting meals. Um, I talked a little bit ago about homelessness. Homelessness is going to become an even even more grievous issue. Um, but you see a lot of organizations that are really stepping up and, again, pivoting not in what they offer, but pivoting in the way that they offer or meet their mission to make sure that they can meet that increased need. So, Sean, I, I want to end on or wrap up on a little bit more of a positive note, perhaps. Uh, is there a silver lining for nonprofits in the wake of COVID-19? I think there is. One of the, you know, as, I, as a computer science guy in college, almost every nonprofit board I've gone on to, I've been that token tech guy. And um, it's been frustrating when I try and introduce new tech over the past 25 years. Organizations have not wanted to touch it. This is the way we do it. It works fine. Let's leave it. I think in the past 10 weeks, nonprofits have climbed the technology curve that would have taken them the next 10 years to do. Um, you have seen nonprofits start to integrate Slack into what they do on a normal basis. And I don't think it's something they'll just do for now. Um, you see organizations using Zoom. Three months ago, it would have been unheard of, taboo. You would have been fired as a fundraiser if you tried to raise money from a major gift donor over Zoom. You just don't do that. You meet with them. You talk with them. Now you can do that. And, and if there's a, you know, if we can make nonprofits more efficient where they don't have to waste money and time taking a donor out to dinner to get a donation, but can now get on Zoom to do that and expedite it, I think that's a huge advantage to, to or a silver lining, if you will, to what has happened. Yeah. And it seems like the, you know, much of the country has really shifted over to Zoom and, and gotten much more comfortable with that. And, you know, we'll see what the long term uptake of that is, you know, in continuing to do business that way. And I was listening to a podcast this morning uh, talking about Slack. And they, just in these last 60 days, they've had 2 million more people sign up for that. Uh, are there other tech platforms that you've seen with these, as you said, nonprofits climbing the tech curve, uh, other products that they're using? I mean, we've been very fortunate as a business. We only launched our product in Q3 of last year. And uh, as I said, organizations are having trouble fundraising. We are very fortunate to have built a platform over the past four years that allows nonprofits to onboard in an hour to three hours sitting in their living room or kitchen and then use the results to engage donors and prospects sitting in their living room and kitchen. Um, so we've uh, we've definitely seen an uptick both in usage from our current customers as well as new customers coming on. Um, I think you've seen an increase across the board on just not just uh, Zoom, but all of the various uh, video messaging platforms that are out there, BlueJeans, Skype. Um, they're all seeing a, a good uptick in, in usage. Yeah, really interesting. Um, Sean, one thing that I've been asking each of the guests on the show is if there are any small businesses or restaurants in their community that they would like to give a shout out to even if it's only to encourage people right now to do takeout or something like that before we can get back into the restaurants with the idea that these small business owners and their employees are really suffering economically during this time. And even if we can give them a little bump, it's worth doing. So are there any in your community that you'd like to give a shout out to? Absolutely. As you know, I'm, I'm in Washington, D.C. or actually Northern Virginia, but in Washington, D.C., uh, there's actually a group of restaurants called the Need Group, K-N-E-A-D, and they have three very different restaurants, Succotash, which is Southern cooking meets Korean barbecue, and Mia Vida, which is probably one of the best Mexican restaurants in the United States that I've ever been to, 
And then they opened one recently on the wharf called The Grill, which is actually a restaurant and a grocery store. Um, but all three are doing uh, takeout or delivery and would highly recommend them. Great, great locations. Okay, that's great. We will make sure they end up in the uh, show notes for this this episode so that we hopefully can give the owners of, of those places uh, a little extra bump in their in their business. Thank you. Absolutely. I want to thank you on behalf of the podcast and on behalf of our audience for opening us up to your world a little bit and talking about nonprofits. Um, you know, they're they're vital to functioning of our society and helping those um, who are in need. And I wanted to shine a little bit of light on the work that you're doing and on nonprofits in general, so that we can keep society moving forward and and support all the good work that's being done. So. Thank you for for taking the time out of your busy evening and joining us on the show. Well, Ted, I you know I said it when we when we uh, started the call. Thank you. You're you're on the front lines every day as as a physician, and uh, with people like you taking the, uh, the the hard work you do and the risk you do is how we're going to get back as a country. So thank you not only for that, but after an exhausting day, coming back and putting on a podcast like this. So thank you for the opportunity to join you. I appreciate it. Absolutely, Sean. I wish you a good evening um, and, and stay safe. You too. Thank you. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. If you have questions about COVID-19 that you'd like discussed on the podcast, send an email to info at arslanga.media. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Be vigilant, but remain calm. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.